You're listening to the Manorous Podcast with your host Tom Traplin, and this is session number 132. A digital marketing strategy is crucial to your game store's success. In order to grow, you need to get your store in front of new customers. And the most effective way to do that is online, using strategies like Google Ads, email marketing, social media, and content marketing. This is where the Manaverse Marketing Agency comes in. We bring in new customers to your online store and physical storefront using a comprehensive digital marketing strategy that we build around your brand and existing operation and then implement it for you. Book a 30-minute strategy session with us to get your game store marketing plan created for free. It's yours to keep either way, so you have nothing to lose. Go to manaversesaga.com forward slash MMA to book your call, and let's get your game store to the next level. Welcome to the Manaverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is a podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at manaversesaga.com. Today, we've got Michael McKinney on the podcast. Michael is the logistics manager of 95 MTG and 95 Game Center in Wilmington. And we're going to talk about some uh, some of the more interesting aspects of running a game store as somebody who's part of the team and not just the owner and get a slightly different perspective than some of the uh, some of the past interviews that we've had on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. I'm, I'm glad that you're here and that we can have this conversation. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, let's get started in the beginning. So let's go back in time. You said while we were uh, getting ready for this and we were doing the prep that you've been in this this industry for quite a long time, quite a while at this point. Uh, how did you get started in this business? Why, you know, why did you get into this this industry? Just tell the tale of uh, you know ninety five Game Center and, and your involvement in in the operation. Yeah, uh, so just got back into Magic one day. Played as a kid. Uh, came home from college one day, and my brothers were playing. And now I, I had a job. I had money, a car to get to tournaments, um, and then I just wanted to play Magic for free. So I was bringing boxes out to college and running drafts, selling extra singles, and then. Uh, one of my friends, like a guy I used to do business with, a good friend now for years, uh, brought me on to vent a Grand Prix. Uh, started buying cars at Grand Prix for him, just getting more experience, moving up. Uh, came to work to, uh, for 95. We've been a Grand Prix vendor since about like 2012, 2013. Uh, over the years, just the company grew, bigger office, bigger office. And now uh, we have an office that needed like a bigger office with a game store front. Figured why not open it? Uh, I've been in the uh, doing the game stores as like a side hobby uh, outside the outside of Wilmington for a while, and just came on as the uh, store manager as well now. Interesting. So the business started off as like it sounds like a traveling vendor kind of situation where it was online sales plus also event sales. You didn't necessarily have this physical retail space to begin with. Correct. Uh, it's mostly been you know at shows doing sales. What used to be you know, 30 grand prix a year, thing like that. So like every other weekend. Um, and then between that, you know, regular, like our, our own website, eBay, Amazon, TCG players, like online sales. Interesting way to get things started. Normally there's a retail thing and then the business grows up from, from that kind of a, a starting point. It's a little bit reversed in that it's 
it's something that was online and uh, more abstract because there was no physical location that people could come to. Absolutely. Like so many vendors are like, they have a storefront, they're bringing singles back to their, their local communities or crowds, or they have the in-store needs. Uh, and we just kept getting so big and just needing bigger spaces that we we're like, we might as well just open a store at this point. That, that's an interesting, interesting jump. So I guess my first question would be, why not just keep growing the operation as more of like a, you know, maybe get a warehouse, like why go into the retail realm, you know? Uh, I think part of it is just uh, the, lo the, the uh, local game stores in the area are not always viewed as the best, or there's just like, they don't have everything. Uh, as far as community wise, it's, it's easier for us to offer a huge selection of magic cards or singles uh, because we do all the big shows. Um, obviously post COVID is when we opened. So there were less stores in most areas, but a lot of places closed. There's less shows. Um, so it gives, you know, our staff, something else to do more hours and keeps, keeps people employed, keeps people working, um, gives back to the community a little bit more. Uh, we charge, you know, whatever TCG is minus the fees. So people get 15% discount just for being in store. Uh, and really just want to have a nice place for people to play. Uh, and less so about like making the storefront, the business, you know, we make our money doing the singles, doing the show. So we can provide just concert and a nice, clean, like gaming experience for people in the community. Hmm. Interesting. So the retail side of things is almost the service side of the business and the actual core elements are, like you said, the shows and the traveling and the vending and that, that sort of thing. And right. the, uh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a very different way of going about doing that. Can you describe the store a little bit? Like, so for people who've never been or have no idea what your, you know, what the experience is like, what is it like going into the game center? Uh, for sure. We actually have a uh, pretty large play space. Uh... Our storefront, I think, is like fire coded to feel like 150 players. Uh, unlike most game stores, we're not just a full retail space. Uh, we don't have anything like shelves going up and down the stores. We have a couple of spinners of display product. Uh, we have a couple shelves of board games, things like that. So there's a selection for the community, but we're not trying to cram every bit of retail space in here. Uh, like I said, we're really focused on having a nice play space. Um, tables are spaced out. Nothing's no one's crushed on top of each other. Try to go for like nice tables, nice chairs. Uh, we have a little lounge area set up, uh, big screen TV, couches, things like that, just to let people relax between rounds. Parents can relax while their kids are playing Pokemon. Um, just, you know, well lit. We had we try to have a place that's like people want to be and don't mind being. Um, our storefront has a lot of like the, the window fronts versus like being a wall. So there's a lot of natural light coming in. Uh, we're not the closet in the back. We're not shoving guys uh, somewhere on a tape, like a dirty table. Um, really, the focus is a bright, clean play space and less more being like a giant retail spot. So follow-up question to that would be uh, right now, or at least for the last couple of years, especially since COVID, there's been a, I would say, a trend towards moving away from the play space model. Right. Game stores used to be synonymous with, well, you needed tables, you needed to have organized play, and you needed to have play spaces in order, in order to sell those products. That was like Absolutely. part of the model, right? But that's kind of drifted back, right? COVID, in a sense, showed that people wanted the games and they wanted to be able to buy and they wanted to be able to support the stores, but they didn't necessarily need the play areas in order for that to happen. So there's a lot of uh, game stores that have gone and really scaled back their play area to favor Absolutely. more retail-focused things. So for those people who are like, hmm, 
that's an interesting like model because you're kind of going against the trend right now or you're going against the common wisdom. What would you say to people who maybe are listening and thinking, that's a mistake. Why not just jam all the retail in there? There's uh, there's perks on both sides. Like obviously, you know, with less retail space, we have a smaller selection of things like board games. Uh, we don't carry miniatures. Something like 40K is a huge war game. Whether you're at home or in a store, 40, like a 40K line is massive. Um, so we don't really deal in miniatures. Uh, so we are limited on what we do offer. Uh, we are a huge magic vendor. We have pretty much every magic single. We try and have tons of Pokemon, things like that. Um, obviously, TCG games are much easier to stock in boxes and things like that than having shelves and pallets full of board games. Um, so there is a downside of there. We, you know, we lose some board game sales because we don't have the selection. Um, but just, I think this, this far uh, outside of COVID or, you know, into COVID, uh, I think a lot of players really do want to play space. Uh, we've had a couple board game groups find out we were here um, and used to, used to play in other areas uh, that deleted their game space or shrunk their game space. And now they just, mm. They all come out here. They all hang out together. So players are meeting new players and finding new groups. Uh, we have an EDH crowd that's wild. Uh, we'll have probably 20 to 30 people just for free commander on Friday nights. And they just want to get out of the house. Like they don't, they might not even play with like new groups. They might just play with their friends or with their home group, but they just like being out of the house. They like being in the community and have that like higher energy. And just, I think maybe a little sense of like normalcy as far as old magic goes, like having 30 people, 40 people at an F and M, uh, and just like being around other magic players, I think is like a nice bonus. Um, but like I said, there's definitely like ups and downs to reducing the uh, retail space and like carrying less stuff and having that focus on play space. It doesn't generate revenue most of the hours of the day. Uh, but I think, it, like I said, it, we're really about like a community and have a nice play space uh, and just getting people here to just hang out and play cards. Yeah, that is the general argument, is that like every square footage of your space needs to generate some sort of a revenue and, and generally play space. That's a very hard, uh, hard way to tie into revenue generating activity. Like unless you're running an event and you're actually doing ticket sales or something like that, it's hard to really tie that to increased sales of your stock. Of course. Uh, at least that's the challenge. That's the assumption. And then that seemed to be maybe proven wrong. So... Uh, question or i have two questions do you do the pay-to-play model or is it can people just come in and hang out uh so it's free table space uh you don't have to pay to play there's no table rentals or anything like that we have D, &D groups that come in uh you know the old adage for like L lgs is like oh they're gonna buy like people buy snacks and things like that um and they do uh you know we, we still carry dice for everybody carry books for everybody uh the big part really is the magic singles inventory we have because we're such a big online vendor and because we have the opportunity to do all these conventions and uh, shows to bring all that stock in, uh, we sell just loads of magic singles in store pretty much every day of the week because we have that established, you know, commander crowd, even it's, it's free to play. We don't charge entry for it. We do, we do have paid tournaments, uh, drafts, RCQs, modern events, things like that. Um, our big focus is still even there paying out a hundred percent store, like in store credit or paying out impact, like a lot, extra packs and things like that. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I'm sure there is like the mix of organized play and, uh, free, free to join kind of things. Uh, that was also part of the trend is that if you do have a play space now, it's become uh, more common to directly monetize it instead of saying, yeah. hey, you know, anyone is welcome to come hang out and just spend all day sitting at the tables playing with their friends. Normally there is a, you know, like an hourly fee or some sort of a membership or something along those lines to try and, 
make that space pay for itself in a way that's easily like uh, tracked. For sure. Uh, I actually know another LGS owner who has a uh, place that's strictly pay to play, uh, but the model works for him. Uh, it's, I think you just have to offer the right things to make it an attractive place to still want to pay and play. Um, you know, if you don't have any, if there's, if there is no kind of snack bar, if there is no options of like maybe demo board games or like if no one's coming out, it does, it's not really an attractive thing. But if you have, hey, pay to play, like we have all this, like maybe demo board games, we have a big snack bar, we have a, you know, cafe built in, there's a reason to be there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you have a good community, things like that. It really makes it worth it. Uh, I know some stores have, like it's a pay to play. Uh, but they provide like a DM who writes all the campaigns and things like that. And as far as D and D players go, that's usually the hardest thing to find is a DM. So having a professional who spends time making these campaigns for you is like a good experience. And, and I know a lot of players are happy to pay for that. Definitely, it's a good way to add value to to the service of providing the play space. Is also providing the again, it's kind of like organized play and it's just yeah. a different format. So the other follow up question would be: uh, Have you noticed a correlation in a sense between oh, having people in store and the sales generated and then versus people like not being in the store and like sales falling because there's nothing going on. Like I've, I'm guessing there is obviously a positive correlation. Otherwise this probably would, this experiment would probably not continue. Uh, but that's, I think that is one of the biggest questions for people who are running game stores and hypothetically evaluating whether or not the play space is worth their time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially with the EDH crowd, you know, new set comes out, new decks. If, if there's people in store playing, you know, they're recommending cards to each other. They're testing decks. They're improving things. They're uh, always shopping for that new single, the upgraded single, or, you know, they want to foil their deck out because it's, it's their new favorite deck. Uh, it's doing well kind of thing. Um, same with booster packs. People want to, you know, one person's like, oh, I want to gamble. See if I get that, that new hundred dollar card. Uh, it's like, oh, oh, you didn't get it. Oh, I'm going to get it. And then he, you know, oh, you got it. Like, I want to try and get a better card than that. So there's people being in store definitely promotes a lot of, you know, pack sales and single sales just for playing cards. Uh, same with the board game groups, having them come in. They're like, they try out a game they like. They have the opportunity to play a demo game or someone else owns a copy and they brought it in. You know, so we get orders for board games or people picking up uh, stuff like that. And same with D&D. Uh, people want the new books or people want alt covers people match, you know, their character to their set of dice. You're playing a, a poison class. You want to have like some green, like poison looking dice, or you want to have some fiery looking dice. So players being in the store definitely helps promote sales, uh, especially the ancillary stuff like uh, accessories or just new singles, uh, upgrade singles, things like that. Yeah, and that's what I, I figured, but I wanted to make sure and confirm that. For anyone who's wondering, it does still promote sales it's still worth the effort i guess it's more of a matter of how you go about doing it and the way that you structure it and the space that you are providing i think the days of having a fold-up table and fold-up chairs and just having something you know shoved to the corner are probably gone i think if you want to have a play space that's going to generate revenue for your business and it's going to be worth the time and it's going to be worth the energy and all the labor that's involved in managing it it's got to be done very well there's definitely advantages to having a permanent play space. Uh, growing up, it was also it was always fold up tables in most places, uh, and it's nice to like having a place that's like obviously dedicated to play space, and not just gonna be covered up with comic book boxes and yeah. you know other ancillary stuff sometimes. Yeah, for sure. So you've been doing this for a while. You've been involved in this business for for a number of years at this point. Uh, 
what are some of the let's go with the negatives to start things off with and then finish on the positives so what are some of the the, the biggest uh, mistakes the biggest errors that you've seen made that you know obviously they weren't fatal but like what are some of the things that you've run into uh, that you've seen other store owners you know maybe potentially running into in the future that you would recommend to avoid Boy, I think the probably the biggest thing I've seen over the years is uh, stores that like have price singles in a case uh, because it enters twofold. Where like sometimes you your prices look like they're too expensive and people don't want the card because the the card came down in price, or the inverse. You have a price card and it spikes, and now you're selling a card for half of what it's worth, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of stores that I've dealt with over the you know the last ten plus years have like changed from that. Um, Things like Star City, TCG Player, like it's so much easier to check live prices. You don't need a magazine every every month anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's really the the biggest thing that like kind of throws people off because uh, they either feel like they're getting taken advantage of, or they feel like you're kind of you're slow and you're and you're being taken advantage of. You know, they're like, oh, I got this store. They had this card for half price. Uh, they might they might keep coming back, but like they're only going to buy the stuff that's wrong. Yeah, not the uh, reputation you want as a business either. Right. So that that leads to the question, how do you manage that sort of thing? And so instead of the case model and having, you know, your your cards displayed face up on a piece of glass or something like that, how, how does it work at uh, 95? Uh, so actually, we don't have any singles out. Uh, we have a couple of cases that are they're filled with old steel product, things like that. Uh, we have everything in the kiosk model. Uh, because we're such we're a big online business, uh, we have just rows and rows of boxes filled with cards, alphabetized, uh, condition set, everything. Uh, so when you come to the store, we have four different kiosks you can grab a seat at, search our entire live inventory. Everything's priced for condition, foil, full arts. Um, it shows you everything we have in stock. Um, very easy to search. And you can pull up you know, all the variants, things like that. And then uh, you basically build a cart right on the kiosk. And then we have a staff member pull the cards for you. You can check them over for condition. Um, And then if you're happy with them, you just pay for them right then. Um, No digging through boxes, trying to find a a bulk common. We have it all sorted out. Um, Mm -hmm. Ups and downs, like it's harder. You know, if you want to see a condition, the cards aren't right in front of you. We we pull them out first, so it takes an extra minute. Uh, But outside of that, it's just everything is... uh, Price, you know, like I said, it's it's, it's priced uh, in store off. Like we lose our fees on TCG Player or eBay, so we take those fees out, and just in store customers are paying ten to fifteen percent less than they would online for a card, which gives them a great incentive to come into the shop and and do that in person. Not only do you get it exactly. sooner and immediately, you get it slightly cheaper than you would otherwise. <laughs> Absolutely. What uh, what platform do you use to provide this kind of a service? What's uh, uh, so- we actually have custom built software. Uh, everything pretty much in house is uh, coded by an in house coder. Uh, our cash register, our uh, pricing software, our listing software, our kiosk, everything is uh, done in house, all custom. Uh, so it all works together. Uh, there are some great programs out there. Uh, Square for is a good register program. TCG Player has its own kiosk system, uh, but ours basically none of that works together. Uh, so ours. Everything is custom built, so it works together. Whether you order, if you order cards on our website, if you order cards on eBay, if you order cards on TCG Player, order cards in store, it's all the same system. As far as when we pull, how we pull the cards, how everything's sorted, and like, just to provide like a good experience across the board, uh, and just make it easy for the, our backend staff to to deal with all this stuff. We're not checking four different websites; it's all one good system. 
Same thing with the cash register. Easy, easy to add carts to it because you didn't order on a TCG player kiosk, and now I'm trying to check you out with the Square register. Um, it's all just one system, so it's all easy to add, fix things, change things. That's that's beautiful. I love that a lot. So that, that yeah. to me, is fascinating. So what was the process for creating that? Because I'm sure there's probably a people listening right now who think, that sounds fantastic because that's a major headache for store or stores across the world is having different systems trying to talk to each other and trying to make sure your inventory is all tracked and managed and you're not like, you know, you're not selling a card that you don't have in stock anymore and like all of that stuff that's involved with that process. Uh, for sure. I couldn't, couldn't get into the details on the coding process, but I know there's a lot of trial and error. Uh, you know, we do a lot of bug testing and just like uh, before we opened up, just running the register, making sure the, the new custom built register that, cause we opened uh, July of uh, last year. So we've been in LGS for not that long, just making sure things worked and the, the uh, orders were coming through and the payment going through on the register versus coming through on eBay or coming through on our website, you know, we still pick it up and still pull, like mark the cards as being sold. Um, so just a lot of bug testing, uh, figuring out what we want out of a system is great. You know, getting feedback from the community. Uh, we keep adding new features to our Kia system. Uh, players are like, Hey, can I, how can I search like this? I don't want to find just like these kind of cards. Can, is there a search feature for that? Is there a search feature for this? So like, uh, it's just always under development, always adding new stuff, but, you know, feedback from the employees, you know, what issues do they encounter, what would make their job easier, what issues they encounter. And the same with the community, like, we just make it vocal. We ask them, like, hey, what do you think of this kiosk feature? We're like, what do you wish you could do with this? Uh, what do you want to see, you know, from our system? Uh, and we've actually started working with another LGS uh, in Pennsylvania who wants to use our kiosk system. So now we've been working upgrades, you know, what would another store want to see? You know, what's different from, that doesn't do online sales, that only does in-store? What features would they need? What features do they want to see? Um, and working with them to get feedback as well. It's just always keep developing and not just like settling. Yeah, and I'm sure there are probably tons of people listening right now thinking like, this sounds fantastic. How do I go about doing this myself? So, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in just the, the process of things because having a custom solution is not available for everybody, but like it's ideal if you can manage it. Having, Absolutely. So you, you've, you're working with another store at the moment to kind of see what fits. Have you, right. has it been considered to kind of like turn this into a, like an additional service that you could like, Hey, we sell our, you know, we've got our own custom solution for this kind of thing. I'm sure there are people like there are store owners out there who would love to have something that's built for them. That's the uh, the next thing. Uh, we're, we've known uh, we've done a lot of business with the store because they don't do online sales. A lot of their extra inventory, come, they, you know, they sell to us because we burn through it online or in our store as well. Um, so we're working with them, you know, trying to figure out like a model if it's what kind of like what kind of services can offer, or, like what the services worth to different stores. Uh, obviously, want to test it because it it hasn't been out of house before. We must be able to make sure it works on the like the computers they're using, like. Uh, any hiccups that we have from running the service out of house uh, in another store uh, and just making sure that it works properly, you know, making sure we uh, can provide some tech support I mean, without being, if we're not on location kind of thing uh, to walk them through different processes and just make sure things are streamlined for what they need uh, based off what we need for our online business, just changing things, changing the, uh, the appearance of the front ends. Uh, you know, so rather than have our logos all, all over everything in their store, they have their store stuff and, set up for like their clientele. It's like how they want to view products kind of thing. So, yeah. But it's something we're absolutely looking to expand on in the future. And, you know, if it goes well with them, offer it to other stores. That sounds really good. I 
I'm, I look forward to hearing more about this because that is a, like I said, it's a big problem, at least in the industry right now. There's a lot of different solutions and there's a lot of options for, you know, like e-commerce and that kind of thing. Uh, but the challenge is really making everything talk to each other correctly and, and managing all of the different systems. And if there was something that just simplified that and cut through everything and it was also, you know, available, because there's, you're not the only game store to have created some sort of a custom solution, but not everyone is willing to share that and make that right. part of their business model. So if there is something there, like that in the works for the near future, that would be very exciting. It's it's a it's great software working with it for the last few years in the back end, um, especially having tried other products like uh, just either listing on TCG Player with a quick list software, or so many times Crystal Commerce goes down and now you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice having something in-house like, oh, we control, like we can restart the server ourselves or we can fix this patch or, or bug ourselves. Uh, it's been a huge lifestyle improvement for doing a lot of online sales, even the in-store stuff. Yeah, absolutely, I'm sure. All right, so we, we did a little bit of an ex exploration of some of the, you know, some of the errors, some of the mistakes, some of the things to avoid. Uh, what has, what, what are some of the things that you've discovered have been like major successes that you'd say this is something that game store owners should be thinking about as important uh, pretty much across the board? Like what's something that you feel like this was a big win, uh, people should be looking towards this? Boy, uh, I think everything has its like ups and downs. Um, I really think the biggest thing is just listen to your community and what they want and like feed, feed that part of your community, but also like not being afraid to try new things. Uh, so many stores I've worked with and so many times, like even in here, uh, bringing in a new line of a toy or bringing in something different uh, and just checking it out and not being afraid to try the new stuff, try the new card games, you know, when Flesh and Blood was new or Dragon Ball Super was new. Uh, taking a chance on those things can have huge payoffs, especially if, you know, you're the only store in the community that offers something like that. Um, you know, there's game stores these days are so similar, like having that new thing or having something slightly different can just be a huge boon. Uh, because then you get known for that. So then you get that whole community for it. Uh, I really think a lot of stores are either like too afraid to take a, t take a chance on some things or too afraid to like wait on things and like make their margins the other big thing. You know, some stuff just sells slower. And if you discount it, it's not going to sell faster. You just have to make like wait it out, make your margins on other products. And uh, yeah, I guess pa being patient and also like trying new things are like the, the huge big things that I think a lot of stores don't do. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting that you mentioned that specifically because I uh, I had just had an interview with David Finn from Bridge Distribution, but he had a great point. He like literally just talked to him a couple of days ago, and his his point was essentially the same thing. It was this idea of like game stores are you know they're in this niche, right? They're already kind of like outside of the mainstream. Not a lot of people necessarily know what. Uh, you know, Euro games are, right? Like their exposure may not be the same. So we're already kind of like niched out. But even within that niche, there's still a lot of similarity between game stores, right? They, like, everyone carries magic to some extent. Everybody does Dungeons and Dragons. They all kind of like know what, that, what that's about. But there's room to actually even niche down further to be something that, you know, people cannot find at every game store. And like you said, like the idea of trying out games that not everyone can, uh, not everyone can buy everywhere, right? If your stuff right. can be purchased at Target or Amazon or Walmart and like the big box stores, uh, there's a good chance that you're going to have a tougher time selling those things, right? Because people are have a, 
it's it's got a more broad market or broad appeal now, more more availability, and that means that there is more opportunity in trying out some of the smaller game lines or trying out some of the more obscure titles and stuff like that, and being known for known as a place that carries things that just can't be found elsewhere, and that used to be the way game stores were, because you know up until relatively recently you couldn't find a lot of these products on the big in the big box stores you were the specialty retailer it was we were, you're almost being pushed even further down the line to be like you have to be even more specialty if you really want to have that uh, that appeal that really draws people in for sure every every target and every gamestop has funko pops now like you know gamestops carry anime action figures they carry statues now like all the, the the niche anime collectible things like that stuff is just it's main it's it's very mainstream which is not bad it just makes it so you know someone will come in your store and see it and be like oh i bought that at target last week already kind of thing exactly. uh, you know we don't carry monopoly as a board game we don't carry uno we carry you know Catan has a lot of crossover you know you'll see Catan at target but like we also have like the dark souls board game you're not gonna find that at you know target you're not gonna find that at, you might find it at GameStop, but we carry a lot more of the uh the more niche, the more off-brand stuff like that, and we carry. But then we also still carry staples. You know, we have a huge line of Pokemon plushies. Um, where when you go to Walmart, you know, there might be two to three different Pokemon to pick from. Where we have 140 different ones uh, in different sizes. You know, even when you're competing with like a mainline thing like that, having the variety and having the different things is going to make you the first stop because you have the options. Exactly. Yeah, and Gigabyte's Cafe. I remembered his name. The game store. Great game store. Uh, you know, I apologize to David. If he's listening to this afterwards, I didn't mean to blank on your name, but no, I got it. Put it in there. But uh, yeah, it's there is a large amount of value in being the place that you can find things that can't be found elsewhere. And the idea of being a more willing or maybe being more aware of the requirement to even diversify further, I think is, a, is an interesting point that a, a lot of store owners should be considering you know february 2023 as we record this podcast going forward that's going to be even more important because because the main core elements of the hobby industry have become more mainstream for good and worse definitely nice seeing like the hobby be more mainstream but it definitely has taken a damper like you know the specialty i like the specialty game stores yeah we need to step out of the comfort zone of where things have been in the past and again explore new areas and i think that's something that generally businesses should be doing as often as possible right you've got to continually innovate and i think game stores have uh, i don't want to be mean and say stagnated but the model hasn't changed all that much up until like covid kind of forced everything to change and i think we're we're continuing to see the evolution of what people want and what customers care about and it's being further and further refined as the, uh, like, again, those core products kind of get uh, get adopted by bigger businesses that can compete on price that we just don't want to. Last, uh, or last couple of questions that I do want to explore are having to do with uh, success and ultimately, like, really finding, you know, what you're trying to achieve with a business and what you're trying to achieve with a game store. The theme of the podcast and what we're all trying to do is basically be successful in life. But that means a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people, right? So I'm, I'm going to guess that your your answers are going to be a little bit different than, say, like the, you know, the owner of the business. And their answer is going to be a little bit different. 
but from your perspective and your position with 95 Game Center, what do you feel like makes the store successful? And what do you feel is like a success for you personally in, you know, the context of uh, what you do for the business? Uh, for as far as like the business goes, I think because we were established as like an online vendor and have that big card inventory, uh, I think it's really helped drive success of the store. Players come in, they can find pretty much any card they want any day of the week. Um, we're very rarely ever either out of something or like can't get it for a player if they ask for it. I think that's really helped with the, the EDH community. Um, they love being here because they can get all the niche things, all the small cards, like all the off-brand EDH staples, uh, as well as like the modern crowd can come in and get terminus staples they need. Um, and then having, you know, having those players come out, having successful events is the big thing. Um, that's really how I view it for myself is like when we have a big successful event, we have 40, 50 people in the store playing a tournament. We get that turnout, you know, people are coming from an hour, hour and a half away to come play, come here to play. Uh, that's kind of like where I feel successful. Like I was able to, I was able to schedule a good event. I was able to promote a good event. We were hosting a successful tournament uh, because our main focus isn't being a retail space. It's being that, that, play space and i just love having people come in here like wow you guys have a nice place it's clean it's spacious like there's we're not on top of each other uh everything looks good like that's just where i drive my success from is just knowing that like the events were successful and whether it's an eight person draft or a 50 person event like i just like having like the players come out and have a good time because they drive the store like players are our customers without them like we, we can't be successful so yeah so i guess given the context of play space versus retail, the criteria for a win is different, right? It's not necessarily like, well, we all, I want to sell X number of dollars or X number of dollars worth of product. It's having people in the store and having them have a good time and enjoy themselves and have a great experience. You know that the knock-on effect will be increased business afterwards, but that in itself is the primary goal. For sure. Like if I, you know, we might have a great sales day. It's if, people aren't playing here i don't like i have less time to talk to them and interact with them i have less time to figure out what they want uh, as far as like what, what what do we need to bring in what do we need to order kind of thing um so just having players in the store like for longer playing games like i get to build that relationship where like i can find out what the community wants to see uh you know we new set we had just had the new phyrexia all we one set release mm -hmm. made sure we had enough product people want to buy things like what do people want to buy from us you know do we need Knowing we have a big commander crowd, I had to buy more commander decks. So we had enough for the players of stock where if you don't know your community, you might under order or something and get stuck with a bunch of products. Uh, and I guess that you might not have enough to, to sell to your community and they go somewhere else to buy it. Or the inverse, like you might over order and now you're stuck with a bunch of dead product kind of thing. Um, so for me, the, the play space and just being able to interact and like figure out what the community wants makes my job as far as ordering things and just running the store successfully a lot easier. I think it's a really good point to emphasize too, is that the more that you understand what your community wants, the more accurate you can tailor your business and what you carry to like, to, you know, deal with that supply and demand. Right. Right. And, yeah. And, and over ordering or under ordering, like both of those are problems and you want to do that as optimally as you can. And the way that you do that is to have that information. And the way you get the information is to be tightly tapped into what your community wants. So I think right. that's a really, that's an interesting point to like say, Hey, there's a reason why this is, this is valuable beyond what it does for your shop. It's valuable because it helps you, I guess, helps you plan more effectively for the future. 
Absolutely. It, it makes it so much easier. Like when you can talk to your community and figure out what's going on or what people want to see, especially like even running events, like no, like if people are in the store, you can plan for future events better. And then that way you're running profitable events uh, or just know, you know, Hey, maybe we can close early on this night. You save labor because no one's out playing magic or you can, Hey, let's stay open later. We're doing sales. We're doing business. We're selling things. It, you know, uh, you turn hours that you were closed into hours you're open and making money. And speaking of the future, we're just getting into 2023. Things have been interesting so far. The last few months have been a very interesting time for magic, for the hobby industry in general. Where do you see the next, you know, let's say 11 and a half or 11 months or so going into 2024? What do you see the next year looking like? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Magic continues to keep doing what it is, uh, whether people agree with Wizards the way they print cards or not. Um, I just want to see people enjoying the game. Uh, I want to see more successful tournaments. I want to see, you know, the return to some big events. Uh, we have, like, all the Star City Cons that are doing a great a great job. Um, I know, like, the Midwest has uh, NRG doing their tournament series. I'd like to see, you know, just more big things get players excited. Uh, you know, it gives another, another reason to come out and play Magic because, like, they want to, they're prepping for a big tournament or uh, I want to see, you know, some more big tournaments in store, uh, just the community to, to do well. Uh, I don't think even if, even if Wizards does something wrong, like I don't think the magic community itself is going anywhere. People love the game and just, I just want to see that continue to grow and people just have a good time. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, I think most people want to see, especially magic. Most players want the game to succeed. It's more like they want it to uh, succeed despite perhaps what, you know, the managers of the brand are doing. And it's been, it's been a very interesting time. I mean, I know that, you know, magic players are known for being uh, negative to put it nicely. Like, I, yes. Like, even in the best of times, they've been known to be very negative about uh, their favorite game. Uh, but recently it's been more deserved than perhaps in the past. But I, like, I, I generally agree that I don't think it really like if Wizards decided that tomorrow, hey, we're going to stop printing this game. We're done. We're out of here. The game's done. We're finished. I don't think it would necessarily disappear in the, in the way that other games have kind of died out. There's just too, moment, too much momentum, too much history, too many players that are invested in the game and the game itself. Like it still has like older formats that will continue to be fun and engaging and the secondary market, which I don't think would really be that impacted by like a a lack of new sets being printed on a regular basis. The game's not going yeah, I mean, anywhere. Yeah, people playing 9394 haven't had a new card printed in 27 years, so I don't think they mind if whatever happens to it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, positive thoughts. Everything's going to be great. Well, no, hopefully we're going to be going upwards and trending upwards anyways. Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, that's a really good positive sentiment to kind of wrap things up on. The last thing I do want to end on before we tell everybody where they can go to get connected with you and find out more about, you know, what 95 Game Center is all about. If they want to come visit, that'd be cool too. Uh, the last thing I do want to ask is, uh, do you have any advice for someone who's listening and they are at the stage of their business where they are, you know, they're thinking about, they're going to open a store. They've got, they're in the stores in the works. They're working on their business plan sometime in the next like 12 months. This is going to happen for them. Or, you know, they've just gotten things rolling. They're in that first year. They're trying to figure things out. What kind of advice would you give somebody who's listening right now as to like how to help them through that process? 
Uh, I think the big thing is if, you know, in an area with other game stores, you have to do research and maybe offer something they're not offering, figure out what would make your store better uh, or what would give them a reason to go to your store. Uh, if there's not one in the area, you know, obviously you have to get a feeling for the community to see like if there's a need for that. Uh, those are like the big things. I mean, uh, just how, like I said, we're a big play space. A lot of stores deleted play space. So now we offer play space. Uh, other stores, you know, if that's where you like, you branch into the games. If there's, uh, I think it's, uh, I, for the for longest time, Force of Will was like a big card game just in Florida. But that's because Cool Stuff Inc. is such a big store. They offered Force of Will and kept that game alive for a long time just off their own. Like they offered it to their community and their community wanted it. So I think offering things that your community wants uh, or doing things better than the competition doesn't don't need to do everything better. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover. You carry magic, you carry board games, things like that. But like having something that sets you apart and really like gives players a reason to be there, gives people a reason to check you out like is the, the real key feature yeah i agree i that reminds me of uh rob gruber up in uh bc canada he's he was known for oh, which game was it uh bakugan kaijudo one of those two one of yes. the two games you know kaijudo that was it specifically and he he like he's he's a small store like it's a small place small population and his success is far outsized because of force of personality and a lot of other reasons but he was known, like Wizards came out to see what he was doing because he was so successful with this tiny community, with this tiny niche game, and he was getting like hundreds of people to show up for this game for these nights. And it's just, you can be known for something that's not magic, that's not like one of the core products, and you can like really crush it if you go out there and you commit to doing it really well, and you figure it out, and you crack that nut. That can be something that completely changes the game for your business. Definitely. And that's why, like, I think a lot of stores are like, they don't want to break the mold of magic and Pokemon. They don't want to check out new games. Uh, but like there's games worth checking out in this communities for those games. I think people need to take a chance on them sometimes, like to really diversify or offer something different to the communities. Yeah. And as long as you don't do anything uh, too reckless and don't dive in too deep for something that's going to completely crash and burn, you do a little bit of, uh, you know, risk mitigation. Research and, is good. Do some research, talk to your people. Uh, yeah. Then you're not going to, hopefully make any too, uh, too big mistakes in the process. But I think that's a really great, great piece of advice to end things on. Where can people go to find out more about 95 Game Center, 95 MTG? Where can they connect with you guys to, to, uh, to find out more? Uh, we have 95mtg.com is our big online store. And then 95gamecenter.com is like the store to represent the LGS with all our events and schedule like that. On Facebook, we're... Uh, on Instagram, you know, <laughs> pretty much everywhere. Cool. Well, if you want to find all the links for that stuff, we'll make sure that they're in the show notes. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, Michael, for coming on the show, and I really appreciate the conversation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Manverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to today's show, and thank you to Michael for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories and your wisdom with us. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast. <laughs>